Hey guys, it's a great day to live for Jesus. My name is Pastor Mike Grover, and this is the In the Word podcast, a twice-weekly devotional journey through the New Testament, where together we will stop, look, and learn what the Lord has to say to us today. We are in the Word today in Matthew chapter 19, and the chapter begins in verse 1 by saying, It came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came to the coasts of Judea beyond Jordan, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, tempting him. So we have here in the life of Christ his final departure from Galilee. And at this point, the gospel narratives are going to be consumed more and more with Jesus's pre-crucifixion Um, appearances right there in the area of Judea and Jerusalem, and then ultimately going to the cross. So great crowds are following him, and then obviously, like typically, a group of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, show up to tempt him, and they do it by kind of trying to trip him up on the teaching of divorce and marriage. And that's a very important subject, but I want to jump down a little further into the chapter, into verse 16. And in verse 16, we pick up on the teaching of uh, the account known as the rich young ruler. Now, this account is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels, and uh, all three of them talk about his wealth, that he's rich. Luke adds that he's a ruler, and Matthew adds that he is a young rich man, so hence the rich young ruler. So he comes to Jesus and he addresses him as good master. Now, the the word master, good teacher or good rabbi, and he says, what good thing must I do or shall I do that I may have eternal life? Well, rather than answering his question immediately, Jesus goes to the title he gave him of a good teacher or good rabbi or good master. And he says, there's none good but God. And he asked him, why are you calling me this? Now, Jesus was not saying that he's not God. Some people say that. It's not what he did at all. He's really challenging the exalted status that rabbis were given in that culture. Man, the rabbis were so revered. One of the cultures of the Jews would be, or customs, if a father entered into the room or into the house, the family would stand out of reverence or respect for him. But if there was a son who was a rabbi, even the father would stand out of respect for him. So by seeing him calling him good teacher or good rabbi, it's not that he's really given Jesus the exalted status that he's due, that he is due. He's simply following the custom of the day. And so it's if Jesus is saying, are you calling me good because I'm a rabbi? Or are you calling me good because you truly believe that I am God? So rather than Jesus asserting here that he's not good, he's really asserting that he is God and that this encounter is beyond anything this young man probably understands is about to take place. So the young man says, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And the answer Jesus gives him at first can be really surprising. A similar question was asked over in Acts chapter 16 by the Philippian jailer, where he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they gave a simple answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. 
Jesus doesn't give such a simple answer here because the question really isn't as simple either. You see, this young man is thinking of eternal life in light of what good thing he must do. He was a good young man. He was probably well-respected in the community. And it seems here he's really looking for Jesus' approbation on his goodness more than anything else. But the answer Jesus gives him, we'd expect him to say, repent and believe the gospel. But Jesus, knowing the heart of the man, isn't ready to give him that answer. He says, if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. Is this really how we get saved, by keeping the commandments? Well, absolutely not. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God. Titus 3 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. So it's obvious, so obviously not what we have to do to be saved that we have to assume that Jesus is going for a deeper meaning here. Now, one of the principles of interpreting the Bible is this. You always interpret the obscure in light of the obvious. In other words, the obvious teaching of the scripture on salvation is that it's by grace through faith. So an obscure passage here or there that seems to imply a works-based salvation must be interpreted in light of the whole or the analogy of faith, not the reverse. So in looking at this answer by Christ in the analogy of faith, we have to say, what is Jesus up to here? And it really comes down to this. Jesus knew his heart. Jesus saw that this man was full of moralism and self-righteousness. And for, in order for a moral or self-righteous person to come to salvation, man, that moralism or that self-righteousness must be exposed as well as any egregious sin we might see in someone to come to repentance. You know, the Bible says if we keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, that we are guilty of all. So Jesus tells him, hey, keep the commandments. And in verse 18, the guy says, which one? And Jesus basically names five of them. He says, do no murder, commandment six. Do not commit adultery, commandment seven. Do not steal, commandment eight. Do not bear false witness, commandment nine. But then he jumps back to commandment five and he says, honor your father and your mother. And then he generalizes the second half of the commandments by you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now it's instructive not just in the commandments that Jesus gave, but in the commandments he avoided. He avoided the first four, which have to do more directly with our relationship with God. And he skips the 10th one that really had a lot more to do with this guy's problem. And that was covetousness and his wealth. So he says, which ones? And you look at the young man's answer in verse 20. He said, all these have I kept from my youth up. What do I lack yet? You know what basically he was saying to Jesus? Jesus says, keep the commandments. He asks him, which one? Jesus tells him, and his answer to Jesus is, I'm good. I've done that. I'm good. Now, didn't Jesus just tell him that there is none good but God only? Man, he 
kept those five and that wrapped up one that had to do with how we treat others. And you know, I don't think the young man's answer was that I've done it perfectly as much as I've done it enough where I am respected and people know this. And by the way, at his answer in Mark's gospel, it says Jesus loved him. I don't think Jesus loved him because he was a good boy. I think there was a certain level of sincerity in this. But I think overall, it's just Jesus wants people to come to him. So he had kept those commandments. But like I said, Jesus didn't mention the first four or the last one. You see, they were the heart of his problem. And what Jesus was dealing with here, he was probing for, was the heart of his problem. You see, Jesus was bringing him along. He wasn't quick to run him into some kind of prayer of salvation and asking Jesus into his heart. No, Jesus was getting to the heart of the matter. You know what he was really doing? He was letting this guy's heart catch up with his head. Man, that's good instruction for any of us that are preaching or sharing the gospel with people. We should not be in such a hurry to get to a decision that we're not adequately allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us to understand that person's condition. So, man, he was pretty good with those commandments, but Jesus is about to probe a little bit deeper. And Jesus says to him in verse 21, if you will be perfect, because that's what you're saying, how do I get to heaven? By keeping the law, go and sell what you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now Jesus breaks out the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Sell what you have and let me be enough. So the application here is the first commandment. Sell what you have. Give up your gods and follow me and worship and love me. It's also, in essence, the tenth commandment, which says don't covet what other people have, but be content what you have. So it's a possession issue. And so Jesus says, sell everything you have and follow me. Now, is that really the way of salvation? No, it's not. But I tell you what. Any sin that we want to hold on to will keep us from truly believing in Jesus Christ. You see, salvation is by faith, but there are definitely things in our heart and life that get away, get in the way of our faith and our believing. And John 3 deals with that. And then the Bible says in verse 22, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. That word sorrowful is the idea of being appalled or even devastated. It says because he had great possessions. Man, so this man went away. Now, this did not say that Jesus sent him away. Someone told me once, well, Jesus sent the young ruler away because he wasn't willing to repent. No, Jesus didn't send him away. He went away. Man, Jesus wants people to come to him. He offers the invitation to salvation to all who will take it. But oftentimes, it's our condition, it's our sin, it's our God that keeps us from coming to Christ and causes us to go away. But I think about this. What if that young ruler 
rather than going away, acknowledged his problem to Christ? What if he had just, as it were, fallen on his face and said, Lord, I have so much wealth. I don't know that I can do that, but I need to follow you. Will you help me? Can you imagine in that moment what mercy would have been poured out on this young man if he had just acknowledged his need? But rather than humbling himself before the Lord, As a little child, he held on to his greed. And then it says that Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, a rich man will hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he uses hyperbole and says, It's easier for a camel, this large animal, to go through this eye of a needle. What an impossibility. He said it's easier for that to happen than for someone who's holding on to their wealth, a rich man, to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But then he said to them, With men... This is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So the rich young ruler, rather than acknowledging his need, rather than being open and honest and humble with Christ, rather than falling down and confessing that Jesus, only you are enough and only you can help me, he goes away like everyone else who goes away from Christ without salvation, sorrowful. But it didn't have to happen because although this was difficult for him, with God, all things are possible. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't let anything get in the way of coming to Christ. If there's some secret sin or some difficulty or something that you have a hard time letting go of to follow Christ, be honest with God. Man, let him know that you don't think you can because you know what? You really can't because with men, these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And I think there's a greater application for every one of us today, even those who truly and already know Christ as Lord and as Savior, and that is this. There's always going to be things in our life, whether it's a sin, a hurt, a hang-up, whether it's a struggle, no matter what it was, that in ourselves, we are in our flesh, no match for it. With God, all things are possible. So the word for today is this. Bring your impossibilities to the possibilities of God and let him and the sufficiency of Christ be enough, be your all, because it's in these circumstances that we come to realize that only Jesus can. Thank you for listening today to In the Word. Join us every Tuesday and Friday for new episodes as we continue our devotional journey together through the New Testament.